Alright, so today is Genesis 4. Yes, it is Sunday. Thank you. Genesis 4. We're only going to do half of Genesis 4. I'm going to try. I haven't decided yet. I'm going to try next week to do the end of Genesis 4, which is important, and put all of 5 in there with it. 5 is the genealogy. And that is important as well. And we're going to see that. And so we'll see it. But, uh, of course, you know what we're going to talk about. Genesis 4 is the story we've all heard, Cain and Abel. But what? how does it apply? How does it apply to what we've already seen? We've already seen the theme of Genesis, the theme actually of the entire scripture of sin, the curse, the promise of the Messiah to come, the one who would crush the serpent's head. Uh, and then we'll see, of course, we'll see that seed throughout. But here, and all the way up to Genesis 6, really, you know what happens in Genesis 6? The flood. All the way up until Genesis 6, we're going to see sin moving and uh, growing and, and the image of God is supposed to cover the earth. You know, God said, be fruitful, multiply, spread my image across the earth. But really, and that's going to happen, they're going to be fruitful, multiply. People are going to have lots and lots of babies and they're going to, mankind's going to spread around the earth. But along with it, the curse, the sin also spreads. And what you're going to see here is in Cain and Abel, you're going to see, um, you're going to see the, um, the growth of sin, the, the extent of how it uh, it uh, grows in in the life of Cain. So we'll see that as we uh, as we continue to to look through it. Um, of course, the we just start and y'all just chime in whenever you get ready. Uh, verses one and two. It's pretty much just lays out the setting for us. It says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So what you see is what's going on. Life is continuing. Uh, she says, uh, I have, she says she calls him Cain because I have gotten uh, a man from the, uh, from the Lord. Uh, the word, I mean, if you, most of, you're probably not going to care about it, but a lot of the names in Genesis are going to have meaning because they sound like other names. Like Cain, Cain is the word. Uh, she named him after that, after uh, the word Kana, which means gotten or received. And so that's why it says she named him Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have received a man from the Lord. And so a lot of them we're going to see, uh, we're going to see especially in the genealogy about the names of, of people and stuff like that but it almost seems and this is debatable so this is just opinion this is not fact I mean it could be fact but it's debatable if you think it's fact or not it almost seems like Eve thinks that Cain this man is the seed remember last thing God said to him was I promise you a seed right before he cursed him there's I'm going to give you the seed of the woman is going to be you know the one who crushes crushes the head so there are some that think and it's possible it's possible that Eve actually thinks Cain is this seed. And so she's rejoicing. You know, I've gotten a man. She could be rejoicing just because life is continuing and those kind of things. Uh, but of course, we know she's going to be sorely disappointed if she thinks Cain is the seed of the of the woman that's going to crush the serpent. Because what we're going to see is that Cain is 
is the seed of the serpent. He is of the line of the serpent. And that's told to us in the New Testament. Uh, it says uh, in 1 John, he says, Cain, who was of the devil and slew his brother because Abel's deeds were righteous and Cain's were evil. So what you have here is the two lines introduced. The two lines. You have Cain's line and you have Abel's line. Cain, and the, the focus of chapter 4 is on Cain, and then chapter five, chapter 5 is going to give us actually Seth's line. Are y'all with me? I'm kind of bouncing around. What happens is, let me give you one. The reason I said Seth is because Cain's going to kill Abel. We got that right. Abel was the line through which the seed was supposed to come, but Abel's life is cut short because Cain kills him. And Adam and Eve have another child named Seth. And Seth is the line through which the Messiah comes. Abraham, Noah, you know, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down until the Messiah comes. So he is he is the promised he is the promised seed. So uh, Cain is a tiller of the ground. Abel is a shepherd, you know, and it could have meaning or maybe it doesn't. We don't know for sure. But to me, it just seems like Cain is following in his father's footsteps. He's a tiller of the ground. Nothing wrong with being a tiller of the ground. Doesn't mean he's inherently evil or anything like that. But Jacob, um, Jacob, uh, Abel is a shepherd of flocks like many other shepherds we're going to see all through the Bible. Moses and Jacob and Joseph and David and over and over again you see this shepherd. So what happens is these lines are introduced and now they're going to bring an offering to the Lord. Okay, and this is where the trouble starts. Verses 3 says, three says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. That's important. We'll show you why in a minute. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, which means he accepted Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect and not respect and Cain was very wroth which means angry and his countenance fell. First lots of questions in these verses. How did they know to bring an offering? I don't have a definite answer just tell me what you think. There's we don't it's not told to us so I'm not going to say this is why. I'm just want, wondering how did they know to bring an offering? Seems kind of obvious. I mean there's two or three possibilities. Well, I mean I think with you know God having to shed the very possible and we're going to see in this chapter that God is still speaking to them like God hadn't just cut them off because he's going to come to Cain and say hey Cain did you know won't you be accepted so could have just been thankful bring an offering to the Lord uh, Adam could have taught them hey guys this is what we need to do you know, it's possible. Lots of different... I mean, it doesn't tell us, so we can't be just... This is, but it's possible. It's All those are possible that they knew. The point of the text, though, is that they did know to bring an offering. This is an offering to the Lord. It's an offering of worship. And it's an offering to, you know, be accepted in His presence. It's what we're going to see throughout the Old Testament. They bring sacrifice. They bring offering. They bring all those kind of things. Now, um... The, the, the number one question people always ask, besides where Cain got his wife, or did Adam have a belly button, is what? <laughs> what? People do ask that, because, you know, he didn't have no... Anyway. Uh, uh, is why, why did God accept Abel's 
and not Cain's. Now, a lot there's a few different uh, few different views. Uh, one of which uh, you alluded to about is blood. It had to be a blood sacrifice, and it's possible. That's possible. Um, it's well, it's definitely that. It's definitely that, no matter what. But the first. See, yeah. Right, and it seems to me. I'm going to tell you what the New Testament writers say in just a minute. But it seems to me that if we just take the text for what it says, it seems like Moses is going out of his way to make sure that we know that Abel brought the first. And the fattest of his flock. And the best of his flock. And so he brought the best. And it just says, Cain, he brought fruit of the ground. Like, Cain looked around and said, you know, any old squash plant will do. Let me just grab one bring it to him, you know, or whatever. And so what you see here, the point is, I can tell you for sure, whether it's blood, whether it's the best fruit, whatever, uh... The, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 it tells us why Cain's I mean why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not where is that you said, where, where, where Hebrews 11 verse 4 it says the you know what Hebrews 11 says before every single verse by faith Abel presented an offering that was accepted to, to God. By faith, Abel presented. So it was his heart condition. I think, this is my opinion, I think that the bringing of the best of his flock was an act of faith on, on Abel's part. And that's why his was accepted. So it's definitely a heart issue. It's definitely a faith issue. You see that Cain was just doing what, you know, he's just doing his religious duty. He was doing what he's supposed to do, coming in worship to God like so many people do. You know, I'm, I'm here. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Here you go. Here's your squash plant. You know, here's your head of lettuce or well, I don't know what he brought him but you know here here's you whatever and Abel got he got prepared he got the best of his flock he got the fattest uh, he got the he got the best stuff that he could possibly bring and he brought it not he wasn't accepted just because it was the best and Cain gave him the leftovers it was the condition of their hearts when they brought it the evidence that Abel had faith of course we're told that in Hebrews 11 4 but the evidence that it was Abel's faith was the fact that he prepared and got the best to bring to God and the evidence that Cain did not have faith but was rebellious was he just got whatever he could find just threw it up there. See what I mean? Makes sense? We still worship the same way. You're going to see it today, 1030. People are going to come in and they're going to just be here to be here and this is what I'm supposed to do and there are going to be some some that are going through some of the hardest struggles of their life and they're going to just make up their mind I'm going to worship today I'm going to seek the presence of God I'm going to I'm going to be in his presence today and so Abel's is accepted Cain's is rejected now it's almost like if God rejected your offering. Now Cain's going to get mad and God's going to come talk to him. So we know that Cain knows that God has rejected his offering. His offering. If Cain is, if he was a humble, faithful believer, uh, when I say believer, I mean one who trusts in God, one who is uh, desirous of a relationship with God. What would be his response when God rejected his offering? He would be. He would be. You know, better. Yeah, he'd, he would be humble. He'd be repentant. He would do better. He would say, look, I'm sorry. You know, whatever, whatever. I'm having a bad day. What? He would be humble and repent, but that's not what he does, is it? What does he do? He is mad. 
And that is indicative of the religious mind. I mean, the person who is just religious, how dare you say that I'm just religious and I'm not worshiping, I'm not whatever. I mean, that's what happens is that he gets angry. Now, you see, when God came, when God came to Adam and exposed his sin, Adam kind of danced around it. He didn't want to take the blame. He, you know, but when it come down to it, he pretty much bowed his head and said, okay. Sorry. You know, when they kicked him out of the garden, garden, when they kicked him out of the garden, Adam accepted his punishment. He accepted and he named his wife Eve, mother of the living. He believed the promise. We saw that before. Uh, here, you're not going to see that. And that's why we're, we're seeing sin grow, because Cain is not Cain is not like Adam. I mean, he's a sinner like Adam, but he doesn't respond to God's correction like Adam responded. Instead, he gets angry. He gets angry. And so he gets angry. He gets angry because God has rejected this offering. Uh, and that's in verse five. We read, right? He was wroth and his countenance fell. That means his, his face is you could he could you could see it on his face. He was angry with all this. And the Lord said unto Cain, this is so amazing to me. This is so amazing. The grace of God. The Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why are you angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? He says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall be its desire. That means it wants to have you and thou shalt rule over him. He said, you must. Thou shalt is often used in the command formula. You must rule over him. You must get mastery over sin. Now, here's something that God does in his grace that he didn't do for Adam. He actually comes to Cain face to face, God looking him right in the eyes, or you know what I mean by that, coming and speaking to him and trying to talk him out of his sin. Why are you so mad? Listen, I'm not unfair. It's not that God's unfair. It's not that God likes Abel better than me. And I'm, If you do what's right... You'll be accepted. Just do what's right. Just do what he's talking about. Faith, trusting in him. He's talking about bringing uh, proper worship to God. If you'll do what's right, I'll accept you. I mean, God actually comes like a father and counsel and counsels Cain. It's like, look, son, you know, I'm thinking, son, like, you know, a father would come. A loving father would come to their son who's messed up and said, look. If you'll just do what's 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 right, he said, I'll accept you. And he says, he says, if you'll do what's right. But he says, look, he also warns him. He also says, but look, you need to understand that sin is crouching at the door. He, he, it's almost a picture of sin like a tiger, an animal, a predator or something is hiding behind the door. And it says he, he's going to pounce on you. He wants to have you and you have to rule over him. So God comes to Cain and he gives him, number one, an exhortation. If you'll just do what's right, won't you be accepted? And he gives him a warning. Listen, you need to understand this is dangerous. Sin is wanting to have you. It's wanting to it's wanting to take you and you've got to master it. You've got to. You've got to really be angry at your real enemy. You know, right now, God's, I mean, he's angry at God. He's angry at the world. He's angry at his brother Abel. He's angry at all those things. God's telling him, look, your real enemy is sin. You have to master. This is, this is who you need to be angry at. You need to master this because he is wanting to take you. He's wanting to have you. Y'all with me? Good? Okay. Um, Cain, after God 
comes to Cain and says, he gives him a fatherly exhortation. Look, all you got to do is do what's right and you'll be fine. And look, be careful because this enemy is, is crouching by the door. It's waiting to take you after God comes and basically offers Cain a way out. Does Cain say, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I need to do better. No. The sin, Cain is not like Adam. He, Adam gave in when God confronted him. Cain gets more angry. It says, it says, uh, verse 8, it says, And Cain talked with his brother Abel. Now that's interesting. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he slew him. Now, you could take this either two ways. Either there's some, some, some translations will try to make it say, make it sound like Cain came to Abel and talked to him in order to lure him into the field. But it's possible, it's possible. But I, I, I think, I take it to mean he spoke to his brother Abel. He told Abel about all this that had gone on. And if Abel's righteous, Abel's faithful, humble servant of God, what do you think Abel's advice to him was? If you just do right. Come on, Cain, God's right. God's right. And, you, you know, you just need to do what's right. You need to, you know, he probably told, you know, probably told what any of any of a uh, 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 believing sibling would tell their sibling who is out of the will of God. And what happens? Cain gets more mad. He gets more angry. You know, that that happens. People need to understand, you know, we all got lost folks that we worried about. All got you need to understand the best thing. You know, you witness to them. You do those things. That's what you're called to do. But the only thing that changes hearts is the Holy Spirit of God. It's that's you can't convince nobody. You can't talk them into it. If you could talk them into it, somebody smarter than you can come talk them out of it. And what happens is Cain's hard heart. It is so eat up with sin, so mired in the the curse of the fall that even if Abel and we're kind of speculating here, but even if Abel did come to him and say, you know what? Look, all you got to do is just do what's right. It made him more angry rather than turning him back. Only God can do that. And so uh, it made him more angry and he ended up murdering him. So now you have sin started in Cain's heart, just like it did in Adam. And God actually came. What's so amazing to me is this didn't happen in a vacuum. Cain didn't just go out and say, hey, I'm going to kill Abel. And, you know, that was the first murder. God actually came to Cain and said, listen, you know, exhorted him, told him, look, I will accept you if you would just do right. And Cain's hard heart refused and he went out and murdered. And we're going to see how how. Um, how hard-hearted he was. He, uh, he killed his brother. And of course, you know what's going to happen next. Verse 9, God's going to confront him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel thy brother? Did he not know where Abel was? Yeah. Yeah, he knew where he was. Why did he ask him, where is your brother? Give him a chance. Yeah, he wanted to he wanted to elicit a confession, to reveal to reveal his guilt. And what does Cain do? Does Cain shift the blame like Adam and Eve did? Remember Adam and Eve? They said uh, it was his fault. It was her fault. It was Snake's fault. It was my, the woman you gave me fault. Did they do that? Did Cain shift the blame? What did Cain do? Yeah, he just flat out lies. He just yeah he he doesn't put the blame nowhere. He doesn't try to weasel out. He just flat out lies. Uh, I don't know. I don't have no clue. And then 
He gets smart with God. Never, never ask God a question like this. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, it's almost like Cain saying, what are you asking me for? I mean, it, it's, I mean, I can imagine it, the, the answer he's expecting is no, it's not my problem to keep up with Abel. But the true answer is, yes, sir, you are your brother's keeper. We see that in First John talks about Cain and, and loving your brother. Don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and killed his brother. But we're called to love the brethren over and over again in First John. That's what he uses as an example. Yeah, the answer to your question, Cain, is, yeah, you are your brother's keeper. But more than that, it's almost like if Cain was my kid, you know, it's like, who you who you think you're talking to, man? I'll roll your little head off. <laughs> it came like jealousy, you know, like, you know, if we get jealous of something, we'll say, well, he did this better than me. Why don't you keep up with him? He ain't my responsibility, you know. That's kind of what that reminds me. Yeah, it's definitely disrespectful. Uh-huh. It's definitely in your face. And it's evidence that we see what God warned Cain would happen has happened. Sin has taken him. Sin has pounced. Sin had, was waiting at the door. Cain did not prepare himself. He did not listen to the warning of God. And sin took him. Jason, how does uh, the tradition and history say that he killed him? I salute Um... I don't, it, it doesn't really say, but you know, you see all the movies that's with a rock or something, you know, with a rock and a head. Stones, maybe stones, I didn't know. Yeah, there's no, there's no way that I can be sure. There's no way I can be sure. Um, we're not going to see until Genesis, until, well, at the end of this, at the end of this chapter, we're going to see Cain's line developing civilization in order to combat the effects of the curse, and that's where you're going to have weapons of bronze and all that. So who knows? Who knows how he killed him? Uh, sin has taken him and his heart is hard his heart is so hard that he almost I mean he almost rebukes God and what does God do now if I was God now it's time for a lightning bolt you know what I mean I would have burned him up at for, I mean, God's grace has been shown first of all he could have he could have destroyed Cain when he brought the offering you think I'm going to accept that offering with no faith no heart no preparation no no worship at all you think I'm out you're gone and then after after you know uh, he killed his brother right at that moment boom you're gone how could you do this and then he lied to God as if God didn't know what had happened pow you're gone but over and over again God is just giving him grace God's giving him mercy God's giving him warnings God's over and over and over and over again and verse uh, verse 9 he says uh, Cain says you know I don't know He's not my brother. I'm not my brother's keeper when in fact he most certainly is his brother's keeper keeper. And so are you. And so am I. And God asked probably the most pointed question in the whole Bible. He said, what have you done? He doesn't ask, why have you done it? Why do you think he asks, what have you done, rather than why have you done Why did you do that? You ever ask your kid, why did you do that? What's the answer you're going to get? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think he was wanting a confession. Yeah. Maybe it's if he, wanted to, if he was going to lie to him again, maybe. Maybe so. Maybe so. It blows my mind how people humanize God. You mm-hmm. know, if, if you've given the illustration many times when you preach, you know, if you lie to, you know, you, it's, you know, 
take me no consequences. Right. But I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, he wanted him to confess and know, like, when we ask our kids, we know why they've done it, but we want to make sure that they understood, you know, they know why they did it. Yeah. To rebuke that, you know, I mean, to stir up that conscience. And, yeah. So and when, get out. I think yeah. it was a hope, too, you know, if, if, you know, with him questioning him like that, it's like, do you have any little shred of any good thing left in you? Yeah. You know. And to make him make him explain. Right. You know, it's a difference when you ask your kid, why'd you do that? You know, you can you can make an excuse, you can make an argument. I'm pretty good at making, you know, stuff sound better than it is and putting a spin on it, stuff like that. But when you have to basically say what you have done. It's hard to put a spin on it. You know what I mean? It's hard. You, you know, you're not just giving a reason. Well, you got to understand I was going through a hard time and I got. No, no. I want you to tell me what you have done. And when you lay out the facts of I did this, I did that. It's hard not to. It's hard not for that guilt and shame to slap you in the face. It really sounds bad when I say it. You know what I mean? Really sounds awful when you just verbalize what you have done. He says, what if what you have what have you done? And then he says, he says to him, your brother's blood, Abel's blood is calling out to me. It's crying out to me from the ground. Uh, I think it's verse 10. Yeah. He says, what is, what has thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. It is God is holy, perfect, righteous. And he Abel's murder, the first murder, it demands justice. God can't just stand by and say, hey, don't worry about it. It's all good. It demands justice, just like your sin and my sin demands justice the the notice that it's not just a law out there in the universe that you know if you kill you need to be killed it's God he says the, his blood is crying out to who he's crying out to me it's crying out to God God has to bring justice and so what God does is he brings justice in verse 11 and 12 he gives Cain a curse he says and now Art thou cursed from the earth? Now that's stiff. Did he curse Adam and Eve? I don't know if we went through that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of the garden. Well, yeah, but did he curse them? No. No, no he blessed them. Yeah, yeah. But he did. But if, if you go back and I, don't, I probably we probably didn't talk much about it when we went. If you go back and look at it, he didn't actually say, I curse you. He cursed the serpent and he cursed the ground. And he said to you, you're going to have pain in childbirth and you're going to have toil. But he never said, I curse you. Now, of course, they were recipients of the curse. I'm not saying that they were they were punished and they had to deal with the curse. But here, God actually looks at a man, a human, and says, I'm going to curse you. You're, you are cursed. Before it was, I'm going to curse the ground. And now when you work the ground, it's not going to yield to you. Now he says, I'm going to curse you from the ground. I'm going to curse you from the ground. Verse 11, now thou art cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. Uh, vagabond means, <clears throat> the word means a wanderer. He says, uh, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to curse you so that you can no longer. He's talking about Cain specifically here. You can no longer 
get your food from the ground. He is going to have to wander to find his life, find his sustenance, find his whatever. If you think of, uh, he's going to cast him out here in a little bit, but if you think of, remember we talked about Eden as the sanctuary of God, the holy of holies that was supposed to spread, and that picture we're going to see in the tabernacle as well, lots of uh, garden imagery in the tabernacle, lots of garden imagery in the temple. If you picture Eden as the tabernacle, you see Adam and Eve thrown out of the Holy of Holies, but still God comes and speaks to them, right? Still God's with them. He's still among them because he comes to Cain and talks to Cain and all those things. Now, that, that would be kind of like, I'm just kind of drawing a picture for you here. That would be kind of like the outer court of the temple. You know, they're, they're thrown out of the Holy of Holies, but they're still in the outer court of the temple, outer court of the tabernacle. Here, Cain is cast completely out. Cast completely out uh, into the basically what would, we would consider the wilderness to wander and to be a fugitive, uh, to uh, to not be settled anywhere, to be a, to you know it's almost like he's saying the ground is not going to yield for you, so that in order to live you're going to have to wander from place to place to place to place to find food because you won't be able the, the ground will not yield for you at all. Period. And so he curses him. He curses him. The ground is not going to produce for him. Now, over and over again, we've been talking about the extent of sin and how it's grown. Now, after God renders this judgment, okay, look, I know that you kill your brother. I know that the ground is calling out to me and I have got to give justice. So I'm going to curse you and I'm going to send you out. What would Cain, what would we expect? You'd expect, okay, now you're caught. You know, you got your hand in the cookie jar. You might as well confess. You might as well repent. You might as well just, you know, okay, all right, fine. You know, you got me. You got me. Cha-ching. You know, put me in whatever. Is that what, is that what Cain does? No, he says his punishment is more than he can bear. Yeah, he whines about the punishment. Yeah. He complains that the punishment is too hard. For him, He says in verse uh, verse 13 and 14, he says, And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day, look, from the face of the earth, from the face of the ground, talking about the, the, the land where they live, uh, the, the, the fertile land that could be tilled and all that. From thy face shall I be hidden. He said, I'm not going to receive, if you send me out, I'm not going to receive the blessings of God, the, just the common grace of God, which means, you know, the, the pleasure of, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust, the, the, uh, the blessings that come from God. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond, which means a wanderer in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. He said, when people see me out there, they're going to kill me. They're going to know. And so he is upset at the consequences of his sin, not at his sin. That is not repentance. When a person comes and they are, they get caught doing something and now they have to suffer the consequences and they are upset about the consequences, that is not repentance. It happens over and over again. As long as we keep the sin secret and it's all good, we don't have to worry about it, everything's fine. But then the sin comes out and people know and all of a sudden now I have to face consequences and now I'm really sorry. That's not repentance. And you see it over and over and over and over again. Um, repentance is repentance toward God that like David said, I am, I am deathly sorry that I have offended thee. Cain murdered his brother, spilled his blood on the ground, killed him, 
God came, came and said, all right, Cain, because of what you've done, I'm going to punish you. And Cain complains that his punishment is too hard for him to bear. I mean, amazing, Jason. You know, he don't, he don't even have the sorrow that Judas had. No, he doesn't have sorrow at all. Judas said, at least I'm sorry I got caught. Yeah, he, he was. He made that statement. He don't even make that statement. No. He don't even care. No, he is not. He's not. Uh, he's unhappy with the consequences. He No remorse. No repentance. It doesn't, you know. And this shows you what you're seeing here. It's not just, not. it is the first murder, but it's not just the first murder. Remember the storyline. What we're seeing here is the growth of the extent of sin. In Adam and Eve, they weren't like this. I mean, they were sinful when they ate of the fruit. But when God came to chastise them, to, to discipline them, they kind of pointed fingers and all that. But when it came down to it, they accepted their punishment. They trusted in the promise of God and they went on. You don't see that in Cain. Not in Cain. He is defiant until the very end. And God shows him grace after grace after grace. Even here, I'm telling you, I would have blown him up into a billion pieces after he, not even, not even upset that he had killed his brother. But what does God do? He gives him grace again. He gives him a mark. Yeah. And the Lord God said to him, therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now, it's pointless to speculate on what the mark was. But do know this, the mark was not a punishment. Some people say, well, the mark is this. And, you know, it was uh, meant to, the mark was grace. The mark was for his protection. That's what I was saying when you were talking about a vagabond when I studied this months ago. Is that when I started read 15, is I was thinking that that vagabond meant that he, it's kind of like a man always looking over his shoulder that somebody's going to attack him. And that he was basically that, crying out to God for God to say, look, you know, I don't want to be slain. And God says, okay, I'm going to put a mark on you, which is kind of like a hedge of protection around you. Yeah, that's that's what a guy looking over his shoulder wanting to be attacked. That's a fugitive. Right. Yeah, right. he's called him a fugitive and a vagabond. Right. And so he is he is complaining about that. And God basically hangs a sign around his neck, says, don't kill this guy. Sign God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he he now here's a good question for you. Who was Cain afraid of? Everything. I mean, he's afraid, he's afraid the, of others. I mean, he's afraid of who are the others? Well, they're the people in the his land of Nod, and sisters. but we don't know where they come from. Yeah, they're extended family. I mean, his brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week. This first verse, Cain's wife. Where did Cain's wife come from? Everybody wants to know where Cain's wife come from. Uh, yeah, his basically. You got to remember, Adam lived nine hundred thirty years. Well, it says that he begat other sons. other sons and daughters. Adam. A lot of people don't recognize this, and to be honest, I didn't for a long time as well. Adam died. Right before Noah was born. So Adam, you know, you see these generation, the, this is he, beget him, beget him, beget him. Adam's alive through all of these generations. And they're all having kids, and their kids are having kids, and their kids are having kids. You know, how many kids, all of us live, you know, you're going to have, what? It's possible for you to have seven, eight kids in what the 30 40 years that you can you probably need all right i'm not getting into that but 
in a generation, you can have, let's just say you had three kids in a generation. Okay? They lived at that time seven, eight generations. By the time they're on their third generation, their kids are having kids, are having kids, are having kids. See what I mean? So you're talking about 900 something years. And so Adam was alive during the time of Cain and Abel and Lamech and all the names that we're going to see in this genealogy. Adam died right before Noah was born. And so he's he's seeing all this happen to his family. He's seeing all these things. And there's probably generations upon generations of people. But yes, to your point, if they're going to populate the earth, somebody's going to marry their sister. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody's going to marry their sister, going to marry their niece, going to marry their, you know, it, it's going to happen. And to be honest, there's no other way it could happen. What you can't say, what you cannot say is that there were other people living in the world that God created. We don't know anything about them. The story just focuses on Adam. And so they're really not descended from Adam. They were living in other parts of the world. The reason you can't say that is because the New Testament says to us that it is because of Adam. Adam, that death and sin came into the world and all who are descended from Adam have that curse. So if you if you say there were some people on the other side of the world that we just aren't, aren't recorded for us, it's just about Adam, uh, how did they get the curse? How did they get the sin? How did they get, do they have a sin nature? All of that, the New Testament authors tells us, comes from Adam. Okay, everybody with me? So he was scared. Now, isn't that ironic? Cain killed his family member and now is worried that his family members are going to kill him. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine his brothers, his his nephews, his cousins, his all the people that are uh, in the in that line that have been, you know, spread out? Hey, that's Cain. That's the guy that murdered my uncle's uncle's uncle or whatever, you know, that's the guy that murdered off, you know, they, they want to kill him. Yeah, it, it's a principle in scripture, blood for blood. We're going to see it in Genesis chapter uh, chapter nine, verse six. If a man kills, then by man he should be killed. It's called the lex talionis, the law of retaliation, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so you uh, when uh, when they saw him. They would have been the, the, the avenger of blood, the Bible calls it. The, to get, Cain said, look, you send me out, I'm going to get killed. God gives him grace again, puts a mark to protect him. Could that, could that also be right the opposite? That's part of his punishment, that he couldn't die. Uh, it's possible live like that. that he would live like a wanderer. His punishment yeah. for the rest of his life until God takes him it's very possible. Live in fear of other people. Yeah, absolutely. And incidentally, just to give you a heads up on on the rest of this chapter, what we're going to see now, a lot of the rest of this chapter in chapter five is genealogy. You need to read the genealogy. A lot of times we skip over it. So and so beget so and so so and so beget because in the end of chapter four, this genealogy, you're going to see the line of Cain. They start developing civilization. They start developing music and ironworks and all these things and the reason that they're doing that is to combat the effects of the curse they're trying to make a life for themselves trying to better things to uh, you know combat the effects of the curse not saying civilization is wrong or anything like that <clears throat> but you're going to see <clears throat> that Adam of uh, Cain basically is going to he's going to defy God's judgment on it because he's going to settle he's going to settle in a place 
And he's going to build a city. We're going to see that next week. He's going to build a city there and he's going to settle there. So anyway, last verse we're going to read. 16 says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now this is interesting. Can't prove this and you can't disprove it. So just listen and take it for what it's worth. The word Nod, the word Nod is a derivative of the word for wanderer. Uh, nude is the word it's not nude like nude but nude is the word for uh, wanderer and the only difference between nod and nude is a vowel pointing I know y'all it's just one little it's not even a letter it's a dot you know it's a dot uh, that changes so it could be it's possible I'm not saying it is we don't know for sure it's possible that this verse reads and Uh, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of wandering. So not necessarily a country filled with people, but he just went out and was a wanderer. Went away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, We're going to see next week that he does build the city and he does have, you know, people, uh, a wife and kids and a lineage and all those kind of things. But it's possible. The The point of the text, though, is that is that sin is they were called to be fruitful and multiply, spread the image of God over the earth. God, they sinned. God allowed them to continue to spread. God allowed them to continue to have children. He allowed them to continue to move out into the world. But with the movement of the people, with the spreading of the people, came also the spreading of sin. And it's growing. It's growing and it's getting worse. Cain is a lot worse than Adam was. He's unrepentant to the end. He's hard-hearted. He doesn't care. Sin has taken him. And you're going all the way. You're going to see this growth of sin all the way till it gets so bad in Genesis 6 that God says, I'm just going to wipe the whole thing clean. I'm going to wipe the whole thing clean. I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. And so what the point of all this, the point of all this is not just to tell you about the first family or about the first murder, although that is what it is doing. It's to show you that this sin that was started in the garden by this simple act of, of disobedience has grown now until it is taken over somebody's heart and it's going to take over this whole line. The line of Cain is the line of the seed of the serpent and now the seed of the woman which is supposed to be where the Messiah comes from is cut off he killed Abel of course we're going to see that they're going to have another that is going to replace Abel Seth but <clears throat> interesting enough we end flip over to Hebrews chapter 12 we end <clears throat> it says Abel's blood spoke to God. Now we know that's it means that it cried out for justice. It wasn't like the blood was laying there going, you know, help me or anything like that. But uh, of course, this Bible has the page ripped out, and I don't have it. Um, he says. Abel's blood is cried out and it spoke to God for justice and judgment. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Let me read them to you. They talk about another person's blood who speaks. It says, but you are come unto Mount... He's talking to the believers here. You are come unto Mount Zion 
unto the city of the living God. He's talking to those who have trusted in Christ. Heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. He's just describing that we have come to all that was promised in the Old Testament. And to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. He says, and to Jesus you've come the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Why does Jesus' blood speak of better things than Abel? Saving blood. Yeah. Saving blood. Abel's blood cried out for justice and vengeance and righteousness, punishment. Jesus' blood fulfills all those things. And it cries out for salvation. It cries out for redemption. It fulfills the righteousness of God. If you look up, if you've got like a, a Bible on your iPad or on your phone, take some time, look through the New Testament. All the times that the name Abel is used and how the New Testament writers, they compare over and over again the, the salvation Christ has, has given and the, the sin that took Cain that caused him to slay his brother uh, with, uh, with the sin that we have committed and the salvation that Jesus' blood has, has atoned for. They, were, they saw this story in terms of the gospel over and over and over again. So the, the main points are the sin is growing. Sin is growing and it's taking hold. And we're going to see next week. I'm going to try to do the rest of this chapter and five. So read that. Make yourself read that genealogy. I know it's hard. A lot of times we skip over the genealogies. But it's important. It's important. Uh, we're going to see lots of important things. Like the seventh son of Cain is a worse person than we have ever come across yet. And the seventh son of Seth is the best person that we've ever come across. Remember, who's the seventh son of Seth? Noah. No. Mo Moses. No. No. It was a man named Enoch. He says he walked with God and he yeah, was no God more. Yeah, God took him. So we'll see all that next week. Okay. Question. Okay, go ahead. But it kind of goes, we're kind of jumping ahead. In verse, chapter 4, verse uh, 26... It says, then, me, then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Yes. What does that mean? Yes. We're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> That's the line of Seth. Yes. When Seth... Cliffhanger. Yeah. The Seth... The line of Seth began... The, the difference is, it's a juxtaposition between... You see, Cain's line begins trying to fix things. The curse has gone on with, you know, they says so-and-so was the father of music, and so-and-so was the father of metalworking and working with instruments, and so-and-so was the father of, uh, of herding and livestock and all. What they were trying to do was trying to build together a civilization that would counterbalance the effects of the curse. curse. They were trying to make things better so they wouldn't have to suffer so much because of the curse. And here you have the line of Seth. It Nothing wrong with having civilization and they're going to be in part of that too but the juxtaposition there is that they were calling upon the name of the Lord and trusting in him and seeking relationship with him in order to counterbalance the, the effects of the curse.
hers. Okay. Make sense? That, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, thinking, well, what has everybody else been doing? They've been talking with God, you know? Yeah, but w- calling upon the name of the Lord doesn't mean just, hey, Lord, you know, come talk to me. Calling upon the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord is used throughout the Bible in terms of faithful worship and communion. <laughs> Even in Romans, it says all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, it's talking about faith and union, redemption, salvation. And he's, uh, he's going to, basically what he's saying is it was, it was then in that line, yeah. the line of Seth, that they wholeheartedly put their trust in, in God and served and worshipped Him. Okay? Y'all good? Anything else?